0: This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a healthy and heartfelt life. So this is the second of a couple of crazy busy weeks for me, including two podcasts a week. So I'm going to keep the announcements real short and get to the tofu of the interview really quickly. First announcement is both self serving and possibly you serving. I have had the most amazing coaching conversations with some clients this past week, and I'm just really excited about the transformations that I'm seeing them make in their lives. And I would like to invite you if you are struggling, if you believe in the plant based world, the plant based message, and you're trying to figure out why you're not implementing, why you can't get it into your own life in a more significant and consistent way, think about coaching. And think about coaching with me because this podcast is supported by all the other work I do. And if you want to find out more about that, go to plantyourself.com slash laser, L-A-S-E-R, because all the coaching I do is in short laser increments. We don't spend an hour at a time on the phone gazing into your navel and figuring out what your mother did to you when you were in utero and all that sort of thing. It's very actionable, it's outcome focused, and it could be a lot of fun. So again, plantyourself.com slash laser if you would like to support yourself while you're supporting me and this show. All right, well, I'll be back at the end to remind you that you can also support the show on Patreon, become a patron and a sponsor of the show. But right now, let's get into today's episode. My guest, Ken Lander, I met at Plantstock this past summer, and he's an impressive guy. We quickly got to talking about his career as a trial attorney and applying his insights into how the plant-based movement is succeeding and failing at winning hearts and minds and how you have to not just sway a jury, whoever that may be, uh, with facts and arguments, but also with rhetoric and emotion. And so I wanted to get Ken on the podcast to talk about that. As it turns out, we didn't talk about that at all. We covered instead a much deeper conversation into Ken's motivation, into his faith, and and really the, the, the basis of it is the transformation that he went through in a remarkably quick period of time. You'll see if you go to the show notes for today's episode, which is plantyourself.com slash 233, a couple of side-by-side before and after photos of Ken. The first one, he's 430 pounds on December 16th, 2016. And then six months later, he is down to 302 pounds. And the last time I asked him about it, it was eight months and he was down 138 pounds and is preparing to run his first 5K. The weight loss is the visual star of the story, but the health is the real star. When Ken disembarked from a plane on that December 16th, he lost his breath, stumbled, couldn't make the baggage claim went to the emergency room and they discovered a very sick heart, a 90% blockage in the left descending artery and severely compromised ejection fraction, which is how cardiologists talk about heart efficiency. I won't spoil it by telling you that Ken took action and got better, which he did, but we'll let uh, Ken tell the story in his own very charming and powerful words. So without further ado... Ken Lander, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast.
1: Hey, it's great to be here.
0: So I met you a couple of weeks ago now at up at Plant Stock, and you had an amazing story of transformation, and it's one that you are you are still in the thick of. Um, oh, yeah. So why don't we why don't we start there? Can you just sort of tell us, uh, you know the, the the quick version of you know, bef- be- let's say before you discovered the plant-based world, where had you gotten to and uh, how bad was it?
1: Well, I mean, I was, uh, you know, I, I was uh, basically a poster child of Western illness. I mean, and and didn't know it yet. I mean, I had been um, a trial lawyer in Atlanta for years and then decided to move to Costa Rica and and not be a lawyer anymore. And, and um you know one thing that I never got around was was eating and my weight. And uh I tend I have been successful in you know a great part of my life, you know, my my career, my 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 business life was great. Um my ability to communicate with people was great. Everything was great except you know, December sixteenth, two thousand sixteen. I'm getting off an airplane. I weigh four hundred thirty pounds, and uh, and left the airplane and, and found myself losing breath and not being able to get to b- baggage claim without stopping seven times in a little small airport in Central America. And I went to the emergency room, and there began the journey of my plant-based life. Because what happened was is that I um, I got home. After going to the emergency room and realizing that I had a very sick heart and um, Googled um, on Amazon, well, through Amazon, checked for uh, books on heart disease and diet, and there are 247, by the way, at least last time I checked, and one of those books was a Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, and um, uh, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. I thought that was a pretty cool title seemed to be appropriate. I bought it that morning at five in the morning. I read it between six and 10. It talked about plant-based health and how it could turn my health around. And that lunch that morning at 11 o'clock, I told my wife I was going to start eating plant-based diet. And that's how it all began. Later found out that, um, that I had, uh, my left ascending artery was 90% blocked. Um, I had to have stents I had to go through that whole process but during this whole time I began to eat plant-based and very religiously just like uh, Dr. Eston talks about in his book um, I began to eat 9 to 10 cups of green leafy vegetables a day Um, in addition to my other foods that were all plant-based no meats at all no dairy no oil um, no sugar uh, very very little salt and as a result of that Uh, long story short, um, I end up May 14th on a on a, a, a bed in, in in a hospital in Clinica Biblica with my um, cardiologist, the same one that had received me in the hospital, checking my heart, and he grabs my arm. He says, I can't believe it, Ken. You have a new heart. I just hmm. can't believe it. And that was yeah. May 14th of this May year, of 2017. Of this year. That's right. So less than five months. And my heart had shrunk by 50 percent, the abnormality. Um, My ejection fraction had gone up uh, by 86 percent, which means my heart was pumping 86 percent better than it was before. And I am now today, nine months later, um, walking, running a 5K in less than 40 minutes. Um, It's an amazing transformation.
0: Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. So you're right. And what you know, one of the first things that always interests me is you're not the first person to go to the ER after suffering an event like that and discovering a dire diagnosis. And right. yet you're one of a very select few who wants to do something, you know, who even Googles. Let's say, you know, who doesn't because their doctor's gonna tell you what to do, right? So did but, your so let's let's start there. Did your doctors tell you what it was, what to do, and what, how it was going to be, and you know, and if so, did you listen? Obviously, obviously, you
1: you wanted something else. Well, you know, I no, they didn't. They, brisk, they briskly told me my my heart was enlarged. They told me to come back the next week, um, and have all these tests, and they were putting me in the fifty year old fat man box, which is not. Unreasonable to put me in the fifty-year-old fat man box because I was almost fifty years old and I was extremely overweight, um, and uh, and all the things that come from that. But you know, I I I sat on the front porch that morning and you know said a little prayer and said, hey, you know, what do you want me to know? And basically, what came to me was, you know, maybe you should work on your diet. Maybe you should really put that part of your life out there. And it really became a a kind of a moment of hypocrisy. It's like, you know, how is it possible that I could believe that I could exist as a human being on this planet at 430 pounds and not have health issues as a result of the diet I was eating before? And so that was what led me to to look for heart disease and diet and, and led me to this book. Now, the crazy thing is, this is crazy is that that was was on December 17th in the morning, at 5 in the morning. Two days later, May 19th, I'm in a meeting. You mean December?
0: December 19th.
1: December, yeah. yeah, Two days later, exactly, December 19th, I'm in a meeting with my project management team. I work with a coffee company called Thrive Farmers, and we were sitting there talking, having our normal Monday meeting, and I said, by the way, I've started, I've started, a, a, um, I started a, uh, uh, a plant-based diet. And two of the people in that meeting said, oh, we did do two weeks ago. And I'm like, wow, tell me about it. I want to know. Hmm. Turns out that Dr. Esselstyn's son, Rip Esselstyn, gave them a copy of this book that I had read 48 hours earlier. And the only reason why is that RIP is good friends with the people that we're working with in T in Austin, Texas. Hmm. What a confirmation. And at that point, that's when I knew that, that, that there was something to this diet and health thing. And, and uh, I, I haven't gone back. I have to tell you, Howard, I literally since December 17th of 2016, I have not violated the diet not once, not one time. Not one time
0: so when you look back on your life, um, would you have been would you have predicted that about knowing yourself that when you make a decision, you will stick with a hundred percent was it was that a surprise to you, or was that just how you are
1: no no i mean i was I was that way with trial law, I was that way with my work, um, but I certainly wasn 't that way with um, my own personal health no i wasn 't i mean. It is truly um, unexplainable other than miraculous that I actually had the four with, uh, the the, the, the be, was was strong enough to actually take this on until I, you know, and the thing was, is it because it was and really what it boils down to was is I was I was lying to myself. I, I mean, you know, and that is that's exactly what was going on. I mean, I was lying to myself that 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 the way I was eating wasn't going to affect my life when I'm I'm literally you know a 54 waist and those pants were tight by the way i mean so i mean you know it's amazing the capacity we have as human beings to tell ourselves things that aren't true and 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 believe them so, so how did,
0: how did you um get to be eating the way you had been eating prior to your uh, your emergency room visit I mean, I I hear an accent it doesn't sound Costa Rican I'm imagining sort of South American South or Midwest
1: American South so I I come I come I was talking to my best friend today we have a call every week and I was like you know I couldn't have come from a worse place of eating than anywhere else in the United States other than the American South And I grew up in the worst place of it all because my mom grew up in Texas. And she didn't just grow up in Texas. She grew up in southeast Texas, right down by the Mexican border. So I grew up with pretty much every bad type of food you could eat, every wonderful food that we all think about as comfort foods. um, Before we begin to live the plant-based lifestyle, um, I ate them, fried chicken, you know, here in Costa Rica, fried pork rinds—you name it, fried, 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 fried. Everything was fried, and a lot, and and most of it was meat every single day. And um, and so for me to make that transformational shift in in you know, it, it was definitely medically motivated. It was it was like, you know, I finally woke up and said, I can't keep lying to myself. Either I'm going to change, or I'm not going to change. And that's where it got to be. That was the point. And I, so I grew up with on the worst, worst types of food you possibly could grow up on. In excess, I was an only child who my mom put me on a pedestal, and she rewarded me. I was a celebratory eater. So I love to eat because I love to celebrate with people. And you came to my house, you know, you had the mac and cheese, and the mac and cheese was full of like two and a half pounds of cheese. I mean, you know, the more cheese, the more love, the more – I mean, it was just – It was just on top of, uh, on top of, on top of, on top of, over-the-top eating. Mm. That's what I was doing. So
0: were you a a heavy kid?
1: I was. I was a heavy kid. Pretty much I only got to my fighting weight of like 190, 200 pounds around uh, college time. And I was... The one thing that did save me was is that throughout my life, regardless of my weight, I was, a, I was an exerciser. I was someone who the, the tried to be, keep active and move and had lots of energy. So, on the inside, I already had developed a lot of discipline around those kinds of things. And that's helped a lot in the last nine months, for sure.
0: Hmm. So, you're a, a celebratory eater, you grew up on all these extremely hyper palatable comfort foods.
1: Mm-hmm. four hundred
0: and thirty pounds on December sixteenth had you tried anything before that had you tried any of the the, the diets
1: and things oh, yeah yeah i, I I'm, I'm quite sure I've tried them all in some version it <laughs> may not be the book that was read but you know um I, I you know I had tried the Atkins diet I had tried you know low calorie i had tried um the closest thing I ever got to getting close to it was the idea of eating um um eating for health, um, was trying a diet that, that, um, focused on the root cause of health, which was, was, you know, cellular health. And so I had been, I had gone to a place where I was eating a lot less meats for a while and I was losing weight. And, you know, one thing I've learned through this process is, is that people like me, moderation does not work. I mean, moderation does not work. It's like you either eat meat or you don't eat meat. And I still have all of my friends saying, well, can't you eat just a little fish? You can't eat a little. What are you going to do when you get down to your fighting weight of 190 pounds? You're going to eat a little fit. And the answer is categorically, no, I am not going to. Because I have finally found out that that is the one thing that I can't handle. It's one thing that my biological structure cannot handle, and what I'm finding is is that the large percentage of society, their biological structures are not handled, cannot handle meat and dairy, and you know I feel better because I'm not full of inflammation all the time. I, I you know, this this plant based lifestyle has put me in a place where I'm not fighting something that I'm putting in my body every day, and so. It, you know, I, I think who said it? I don't, I forgot one of the greats that said it, one of the founders, but I think I'm sure uh, Dr. Esselstyn has said it too. The reason you begin, and I know Rip said it, the reason why this, this diet works so well is because every day you actually feel better. It's not just the weight, it's you actually feel better. You feel energized, you feel focused, you feel, um, uh, you don't feel achy all the time. Things are starting to work better. You're starting to get, perceivably better health and your body's telling you you can do more because you're feeling more healthy right so did you have that
0: feeling to some extent when you were doing the cellular health diet
1: yeah so what yeah. happened
0: there why 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 did you find that wasn't sustainable
1: um i think it's because ultimately a little of something became a lot of something again for me and so the idea that there was an exception to the rule became the rule itself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Sunday, you know, I'm not gonna eat. I'm not gonna eat uh, greasy foods during the week. But on Sunday we have a big party and we cook a pig and we're doing all these things and we're having a big party and stuff like that. And you know, I don't eat just a little bit of the pig. I eat a lot of it. And then after a while, one, two days of the week happen, and then three days of the week, and then As we all do as human beings, we we lose our north. And as a result of that, we begin to eat badly again. Yeah, I'm I'm starting
0: to really respect this idea that the only way moderation works for the vast majority of us is if it's imposed externally. So, you know, our, our paleo ancestors ate some meat, but they would have eaten as much meat as they could have gotten their hands on. They were just limited by their environments and their tools and their circumstances. And when right. we remove those limitations from ourselves, there's a very small percentage of people who can mimic the kind of moderation that we would have naturally been uh, subject to
1: you
0: know, in, in our ancestral environment.
1: And we, you know, we don't live in a moderate society. I mean, everybody wants to think they're moderate, politically you know, in their faith, and whatever, moderation seems to be glorified, right? But at the end of the day, everything we see on the television is not moderate in any way whatsoever. I mean, you know, you see a billboard and it has four patties of beef up under it, and you see all this cheese coming off of it, and you see pizzas with cheese on the inside, the outside around it, you know, get free cheese on the side. I mean, we don't live in a world that's moderate. We live in a world that says that if you to be healthy, you need to look like a model that's walking down the down the the pat, the runway in New York. Um, and we're all different, and we're all constructed in different ways. We're all, you know, those are all these different things going on. But we 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 don't live around messaging that's moderate. That just doesn't happen. Even in exercise, I mean, you know, you see people, you think, you know. I, you know, I'm doing my exercise, you know, eight and a half hours a week, and that's a lot. That's not moderate. That's, that's a lot of exercise. But I still idealize my exercise as that guy running the ultimate marathon and winning it. That's real exercise, you know. <laughs> so we, we, we have no real uh, way to kind of to, 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 to find a good kind of middle bead line for that kind of stuff at all.
0: So you, you, you had done all these different diets. They, some of them had worked and then, um, they, you know, the, the, because of, because of the lack of moderation, they eroded back. Um, what, what about like the, you remember what happened with Atkins? Were you losing weight on that too?
1: Yeah, I lost weight on Atkins too. I mean, I didn't, I don't know if, I don't remember it very well. I think I was a bit younger then and, and, uh. You know, but then it it just didn't make any sense to me. I mean, you know, after a while, it's like, you know, I'm eating all this bacon. This is this is actually healthy for me. I mean, you know, I grew up on a farm, so I grew up around, you know, animals and vegetables and all those kind of things. And, you know, I think we just intrinsically know that a nice, big, juicy beet is more healthy for you than a piece of bacon. I mean, it's just it's just intuitive. I mean, um, and but but, you know, for some reason, for some reason, the messages have gotten uh, the wires have gotten crossed over time.
0: Yeah. So what I'm wondering about, though, is you at 11 o'clock in the morning, you have this revelation. You announce to your wife that this is how you're going to eat from now on. But you have this history of Mm -hmm. failing on diets was, right. Did this feel different to you? Like this is the time it's going to succeed, or was there a voice in your head saying, "All right, here we go again"?
1: Well, this was a there's there's really two things going on here. One was that either I had to do something differently, or I was going to die. That's that's probably the first realization that I got along those lines, and the second one was is that you know this is this if i make this decision this is going to be the last chance i have to make this decision it is it's not going to it's not going to it's not going to get better again i finally looked back and went this is not going to get better again and if you know I, don't, I only have one chance at this and my one chance is this way right now and i'm going to do it and then you know obviously when the results started coming and then obviously in may when i'm getting incredible medical results back too, and the real empirical evidence is starting to show itself. Um, you know, you know, it, 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 it made a difference. It solidified things. I'm not saying it wasn't hard. It was definitely hard.
0: Well, let's let's talk about how hard it was. Right. So your your first day, you're you're probably still, you know, addicted. What however that however we want to understand that word to the experiences and the tastes and the chemical rushes that you get what what were the first few days like and how did you deal with the hard
1: i think it i think the first days didn't weren't as hard as maybe the next the first two months i think that uh the first few days you kind of put your head down and you kind of push through and you and then all of a sudden, you start getting these creeping things in like, well, maybe a little oil would be okay here. And then people start talking in your ear and stuff like that. And then what really helped me was I got gout about mm-hmm. two weeks into the process, and I couldn't walk.
0: Wait. So, so like early January, two weeks after committing to this, you get an incredibly painful condition. Had you had first it? First time
1: ever first time ever
0: so how do you not say well clearly this doesn't work how do, how do you
1: how do you well, to #maintain
0: it, your confidence
1: you know in the background there's 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 also my conversation with 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 god going on i mean you know i felt i felt very i'm a man of faith i felt that i felt that i was being shown some things that i think were miraculous things i think that I was being shook, if you will, and saying, here are tools. Look, Ken, here are tools. You know, these are these are things that 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 are 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 good for you that have been created that are good for you. And just stay the course. And that's what I got from it. Stay the course. And I did. I stayed the course. And then, I, then it was like another thing hit me. So I go, then two weeks after that, I have to go to the hospital for all the tests. Once they calmed me down and they got me kind of stable, they want to do all these tests. And I go in and I realize that not only did I have an enlarged heart, my left ascending artery was 90% blocked. And so I was, it was yet another injection of reality that I was literally within 30 days of a heart attack. I mean, easily within that amount of time. And at that point, my cardiologist was already talking to me about having to put in a pacemaker because I had all these weird electrical things going on with my heart, too. And then, so then I, you know, so then my resolve is in, okay, well, I'm going to keep pushing forward. And then February 9th, so that was about six weeks after the emergency room, out of nowhere, I get an email from Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Esselstyn's wife. And says, Dr. Esselstyn would like to talk with you. And so here's the doctor that I'd read his book six weeks earlier. And so I'm getting an email and I pick up the phone and I call him. And he gives me yet another gr- amazing pep talk about I, why I need to keep pushing this course. How did
0: he know to get in touch with you?
1: His son, Rip, through business connections that we had. <laughs> and uh, I, because Rip's very good friend that he did triathlons with and was also a rower. Um, John Cullycutt, worked with us in T, and so it just—it's just—I mean, you can't explain all of the coincidences. They don't—they don't add up. Um, but from my personal walk, I can tell you, I was getting a loud and clear message that this is what you need to do. And I was also understanding very clearly that the things that I were that I was doing now habitually were affecting my my body dramatically. I mean, they were they were changing my body. So through this whole time between February and May, I'm going through cardiac physical therapy, and so I'm getting this reinforcement because I'm going three days a week, and I'm getting a doctor who's putting hooking me up to all these machines, you know, all the electrical machines having me exercise saying I can't explain. Wow, you're doing really wow, you're doing really well. By the end, he's writing a letter to my cardiologist saying, this guy is is exercising like a strong 50-year-old. Hmm. You know, don't we and so then you know, May comes and I get a, a cardiologist telling me that my heart is shrunk by 50%, the the abnormality, that my ejection fraction's gone up. And that, you know, he can't explain medically how I'm exercising at the level I'm exercising at.
0: So did you try to explain to them what you were doing? Did they, did they ask? Did they, did oh, they just... he asked. Oh, yeah?
1: He, he pulled me down the hall and he said, well, you need to wait for me for 40 minutes. And I thought it was bad news. And he grabbed my arm. and He goes, no, 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 Ken, you don't understand. You have a, a completely different heart than you had four months ago. And I want to talk to you about it. And so he pulls me into his office. He goes, now tell me about this diet you're on. Tell me. I'm like, well, here's how it works. So basically, Dr. Esselstyn told me that I needed to cut out all the stuff, right? Not anything with a face, not anything that came from something that had a face. And he wants me to eat 9 to 10 cups of green leafy vegetables a day, which I have been doing. And he told me that if my cholesterol got low enough, that if I kept eating these green leafy vegetables that my system would begin to make nitric oxide. And that nitric oxide would actually create a Teflon coating in my cardiovascular system and would help enlarge all the blood vessels in my system. and it would help create pathways that would help my heart work more efficiently. And, it got, and the cardiologist is going, well, the science is spot on. <laughs> I mean, he says, would you introduce me to Dr. Esselstyn? Because I think it would be great for him to come down and talk to the, the cardiologist in Costa Rica, which I haven't worked that out yet, but I'm hoping we will. But um, he said, you know what, Ken? I don't know how to explain it, but I'll tell you this. I was supposed to put a pacemaker in you today. I had already slotted space in the, in the, in the operating room to do that. He says, but I really don't see. You. I didn't need, don't need to see you for six months. Hmm. And that yeah. was the end of the meeting. Unbelievable. So at this,
0: um, we have these uh, different milestones. You got the gout two weeks in, then you find out two weeks later that your artery is blocked, and two weeks after that you get a uh, an email from Anne, and then you have your uh, the May. What was the weight loss like during this time? Because for most people, the weight loss is the thing they can see. They don't need a blood test or a stress test, right. or they, you know, it's not it's not something the medical you know system has to go into your black box and and extract. So right. at, 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 gout two weeks in, had you lost weight when you had yeah. your test?
1: So yeah. How did that, so how did that I lost look? about 50 pounds, maybe 45 pounds before the, uh, visit to the hospital after the ER in that month. And they think that probably had maybe 20 of that was water, but, but then then it just steadily has gone down, down, down. So I've lost uh well, I haven't weighed in the last three weeks I haven't weighed in. Um but um next week I'll weigh in it'll be a month. But as of the last weigh in, which was August sixteenth, which was exactly eight months from the ER, I'd lost 138 pounds.
0: So 138 pounds in eight months. Yeah. My calculator.
1: It's like four pounds a week. If we yeah, calculate. looks like
0: seventeen and a quarter pounds a month.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it.
0: So that's more than a, that's more than half a pound a day consistently.
1: Right, right. So and I the thing about it is, I've gone back every single time mm-hmm. I weigh. I go back to the very scale in the emergency room in the same hospital. In San Jose, it's three and, a half miles from, three and a half hours from me to weigh on that same scale. Because two things, I go there because it's the same scale. But second of all, I go back there and it makes me realize what a miracle it is, how far I've come in the months that I've been going to that scale. Mm. And, and you're, all,
0: you're also representing publicly, right? You're right. not just doing it in the privacy of your own bathroom.
1: No, no, no. I'm everything. And I send my doctors a report every I'm not every week now, because when I weigh in, I'll send them a report. But that report has all of my exercise for the week. It has all of my nutrition stats for the for the time of the report. Um, I put everything in um, my fitness pal, which is the Under Armour um, application. And it tells me how much grams of saturated fat I'm eating, unsaturated fat, all, all of the different parameters on nutrition. Um, how many minutes and types of exercise, you know, max rates, average heart rates, inclinations, climb, distances, all of that stuff. So I have a, pretty much a complete digital record of this whole process from the beginning.
0: So I'm imagining that someone's listening to this and saying, well, goody for Ken, but I don't have uh, that kind of time. Right. Right. It, it sounds a little bit like you've just taken on a second job. Did it feel like that? Did oh.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I've literally taken eight and a half hours of my day, of my week, and put it into exercise. But what I tell people, and what you know, look, I was that guy nine months ago. I was that guy walking down the street that everybody kind of turned their head, going, "He's going to keel over any minute, right?" Mm. And and I and I tell whoever's listening this, right. You know, first of all, I love you as a person, right? And I'm not preaching to you because I've been there, right? But in love, I can tell you this, that if you truly believe that you don't have time to take control of this part of your life, then, then you're telling yourself a lie. You literally are telling yourself a lie because at the end of the day, other than our faith, we don't have anything else more important than our physical health in this world. And, and if we don't have our physical health, we can't love the people that we're, ch- we're called to love. We can't do the work we're called to work. We can't, we can't do the things that we need to do in life if we don't have our physical health. And if someone is walking up to you and saying, hey, there is a way for you to make a change in your life then you probably should put everything down and start reevaluating. Re- 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 well, maybe I should be exercising eight hours a week, and maybe I should not be eating meat and dairy and oil right now. You know, These are the kinds of things that we have to make decisions on, but we're told by society that we can't do them, and that is a lie. Right.
0: Well, you mentioned the word uh, hypocrisy earlier, and the way you're framing it, for me, it, it sounds like you kind of went from idolatry to monotheism
1: like you you know what I'm saying it's a very interesting way to put it um I can tell you that I can tell you that from my vernacular that's the one thing I wasn't willing to give God was my was my weight issue and I did and I finally gave it to him and I'm not trying to say Hey, you know, that's great, Ken, whatever, you did that, right? Well, you can believe it or not, but go look at the picture of me on December 16th and look at a picture of me now, and you're going to say something happened, and I'm telling you how it happened for me, right? But what I'm saying at the end of the day, I think what you're saying is, is quite true. I think that, that you know, I'll tell you this, basically, I feel like there are three big lies, Okay. The first one is a public lie. The first one is, is that the food industry tells us that it's okay to eat these foods, right? And you can look at any of the documentaries that are out there now, What the Health or Forks Over Knives, all of those different ones that tell the story of basically people trying to justify that these foods are good for you. And that is just not true, okay? But the problem with that lie is it becomes an excuse for people to say, well, I, you know, the science says it's okay. And then you've got great people like Esselstyn, Ornich, Hans Diehl, I mean, Gregor, Neil Barnard, all these great people that you can read, Michael Clapper, all these people that are out there doing some great real science on this stuff. And now you've got a piece of paper in your hand, a book or whatever it says. Science says this stuff is bad for you, okay? It's bad for you. Now you have to make a decision. And the, the next lie you tell yourself is, is, well, that science doesn't apply to me. Well, that's a huge lie because at the end of the day, it does apply to you, but we don't ever get to that place where we want to actually accept it. I did. I got there. I put myself on the stand. I cross-examined myself, said, Ken, you're 430 pounds. You have heart issues. Are you willing to accept that this is the truth? Are you willing to consider it's the truth? And I did. I considered it. But then once you say, okay, the science does apply to me, the most insidious lie, the one that goes to your question, right, about monotheism, right, Mm -hmm. is this. You know, the lie that we hear all the time is that there's no way, Ken, there's no way you can change. It's too late. It's too late. It's absolutely too late for you. And, you know, you're never going to be that 190-pound guy in college that used to run three miles. That's not going to happen anymore. I'm sorry. You're never going to be that guy. And that's the biggest lie right there. That's the one that has really changed my life and me realizing that, yes, I can be that. And, And doing that is a witness to other people of what I believe. It's a witness to my family that I care about them, right? It's a witness to the people around me that, that i care about them because i'm willing to make a change and it certainly is impacting other people's lives because now they can't share in that lie with me because if ken can do it anyone can do it trust me a redneck southern boy from atlanta georgia who thought fried chicken was the best thing since sliced bread to go from that and 430 pounds to today 290 pounds in 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 less than 8 months, right? And and feel good and know that I can do it, then anyone can do it, Howard. Anyone can do it.
0: I hear that so often from from people who, who have shared your trajectory from from Josh Lejeune, Tim Kaufman, yeah. Adam Sud, and and yet people don't believe you.
1: Right. That's the that's what you're saying the polytheism is. There's so many things out there to believe. How could it be so simple? How could it be that simple, right? You know, the hardest things in life are usually the most simple things, right? Patience, right? You know, patience is such a simple concept, you know, but it is the hardest thing to do, right? It's not It's so easy to understand patience, but to actually practice patience, wow, that's a hard one, right? You know, listening, it's so easy to hear, you know, you should listen more than you talk, right? I still haven't gotten this one because I'm a talker, but to actually practice listening and do it well, wow, that is a hard thing to do. And then someone says to you, just don't eat meat, dairy, eggs, anything that had a face or anything that came from it had a face, and your health will be better, and you're like, well, you know, that kind of makes sense to me, okay. But then to actually do it is hard. And so we're told that we can't do it. We're told that we don't have to do it. We told us that that really doesn't apply to us in our in our culture, and so we don't do it. But, but you know, I met Josh Lejeune, and Josh, you know, push it. Those kind of people are awesome to have in your life because he's pushing even harder. He's saying, King, you should run a 5K by the end of the year. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in, Josh. So I go tell my doctors I'm going to run a 5K by the end of the year. And they're like, dude, you need to slow down a little bit. You know, you're so clinically ahead of us now. Can we just have at least one more checkup with you before we release you to go run a 5K? <laughs> I mean, that's where we are. I mean, once the light switch turns on, Howard, once people out there hear that there is hope, then they need to go find those people that are willing to tell them that there's hope and, and speak that into their lives. That's what they need, and that's why podcast and information like this are so important. You know, They need to find people that will speak into their lives and tell them that, yes, it is possible for you to be that person again.
0: Right and and I I I really appreciate what you're saying about the hardest things are the simplest and those and those examples that you gave and there's and that's I think that that leads to this self doubt that, that all of a sudden well cuz Ken Lander did it Ken Lander's different than me and he's always been different than me so what do you say to people who are like yeah you did it you're more disciplined you have faith I don't you know I I would love to do what you did, but I just—I look at my history, I look at my past, I look at the forty diets that I was on and failed, and mm-hmm. clearly, we're two completely different organisms.
1: Well, I'll tell you this: uh, I think it boils down to one thing, and I know it's going to sound really, really simple. It's going to sound really simple, right? But most of—and I'll—but I'll tell you, I feel it. I feel it now, right? That you know. My physical outer appearance had a lot to do with the fact that I wasn't willing to love myself in the way that I know I can be loved. And, and there are a lot of people out there that are hurting, right? And feel like they're passing a the point of no return and that they can't get where they want to be, right? And the difference is, is that They don't feel they're worthy to be there. And this really boils down to a very fundamental issue. Those people need to know, number one, foremost, that they're loved. Okay? God loves them. Um, People around them love them. And if they're not around people that love them, then they need to seek out those people that will love them. And love is not this touchy-feely thing. Love is this, you can do it. This is this is the new you. You, We love you enough to tell you the hard stuff, and we'll love you enough to be alongside you as you're going through the hard stuff, right? And that is what they need to look for. That is the, the quantifying difference, you know? The fact that I have a wife that was willing to flip a switch for me that day and say, I'm going to cook for you in a way that you want to be cooked for, not hmm. that I don't, and not that I'm some kind of, you know, Misogynistic guy that wants to make his wife cook, but the point is, is that there were people around me. I was blessed with people around me. Says Ken, if you want to do this, do it. And then I met the Esselstins, and I met people like Josh Lejeune. I met people like you know um, Adam Sood. People at these conferences, and I went, and I'm like, there are a lot of people like me. There are a lot of people out there that were hurting, that didn't feel like they could change. That can change. And there are a lot of people out there like me now, Ken, that want to love on other people that are going through the same thing. Mm. And so, that's what I think. That's what I think the difference is. So when did – what happened first?
0: You didn't – I mean, you didn't wake up, read the Esselstyns book, and 11 o'clock all of a sudden love yourself that fully, right? No. Like, so, so what was – like, cause I hear people people hear that, and, and like it's it's sort of common to say, you know, you've got to love yourself. But you know, there have been times in my life where I'm just like, I am a shitty person.
1: I am. Right. I've right.
0: done terrible things. I'm shallow. I'm mean. When I am a good person, it's mostly because I'm faking it. Like me loving myself would be like, you know, some affirmation like I'm a billionaire. I'm a billionaire. It just would just felt wrong. So how do you get to what are the steps to get the predictable steps in your experience to get to self-love when you don't have it?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I, I can only speak for me and completely the first person and someone that I know. I am not, you know, I am not an expert in these areas and I don't think anyone really is. I think the only way you can be is to actually know yourself. Right.
0: Beautiful. And I can
1: tell you this that I had to get to a place where I was completely reliant on God and my faith for every breath. That's where I got to be. I mean, I'm literally sitting there wondering whether I'm going to live for another month. That's where I'm at. Psychologically, that's where I'm at. And so I became grateful for every single breath and every step that was going in the right direction. I became grateful for that. I didn't get down on myself. I, I had to forgive myself, and and I had to be appreciative and thankful for what I was feeling in that moment, you know. And I did. I, you know, I, you know, even when I got to the place where I had gout and I couldn't walk for two weeks, um, I, it actually was. I was thankful for the fact that he, I was required to actually stop for two weeks. And focus on what was important, the main thing in my life. Mm-hmm. And and you know, that is that I think what your question was really interesting. Your first question was, hey, you know, how is it how is it that people say, Well, I just don't have time for that? Well, you know what? I was forced to have time for it. And I and I know that it's a gift, right? I know that it's a gift now. So I can go back to people and I can pour into their lives and say, Look, you know what? You know, it's not going to be easy, but there is something greater than you that loves you. And that's what got me through it. That's what got me to where I am today. And, and you know, people, you can characterize it however you want to initially in your walk. It can be faith. It can be God. It can be something you don't understand yet that you certainly is feeding you and helping you. But whatever you, wherever you start, you need to know that there's something bigger than you that loves you, and that your self-worth doesn't have to come from what the world tells you it has to be. It doesn't have to be that, you know? And and I think that's where I ultimately found myself. I found myself in a place, a crucible point in my life, when I had to make a decision whether I was going to be thankful for where I was and realize that someone loved me and move forward from that place or not. And that's what happened for me. Right. I don't uh, know if that answers your question, but um, yeah, and I'd love I'd
0: love to, I'd love to kind of see if I can sort of translate it for people for whom the 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 idea of religious faith or God is something they're not comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know that for me, what I heard was that the thing, the real the operational turning point was was gratitude. Yes, and so you don't need to believe in God to be grateful, right? I mean, you you can just say. Like, let's, let's just be a scientist about this and say I'm on a planet with the perfect amount of oxygen, the perfect temperature, the perfect distance from the sun. I, I watched an eclipse three weeks ago, and the sun and the moon, which are vastly different sizes, were exactly the same size. And yeah. the gravity is just perfect. And, like, wow, what? <laughs> I kind of won some sort of jackpot. And I have, you know... arms and legs and like whatever you don't have, it's far outweighed by what you do. And just the, just moving into that kind of gratitude puts everything in a different sort of context. And I, I, I love that you described the things that, you know, someone else would look at you and say, well, those were the low points of your life. And those are the things it sounds like you're most grateful for.
1: I am eternally grateful for the coincidences however you want to define them of ending up in an ER and within 24 hours finding a book that introduces me to the plant-based world in a way that I've never seen it before. And then ultimately the author of that book reaching out to me six weeks later, right? In the meantime, I find out that I've got all of these medical issues, but I am finding that the things that I am doing right we're actually designed however you want to say it like you said like you know we're the perfect distance from the sun we have the perfect foods we need to eat we need all these different things however you want to wrap that up in a bow i have to wrap it up in the bow that they were created for me to eat in that way and i'm eating them and they're actually changing me right okay so i'm not just some puppet right I'm i'm actually have a free will to either eat these things or not eat them i'm eating them right And they're literally changing my physical body, right? You know, that is the one day of feeling a little bit better than the next. We should all be grateful for that. You know, one, one or two less beats of your heart for doing the same amount of exercise in a day, showing that your heart's working a little bit better than the day before, we should be grateful for that. We should we should we should be grateful in that in that increase in in blessing that we received that day from what from from that per, particular thing that happens to us, and then we should be grateful. We should take time to stop and say, "Wow, look at all the things that I have to be grateful for that got me to where I am right now." You know, and and we don't do that. We just don't do that. Our society is not driven to make us be grateful. It is driven to make us complain about things we don't have. And that is a bad place to be. Well, yeah, and to me, that's
0: when I see people who call themselves religious and that's their MO. To to me, it's like if if you believe in a beneficent universe, whether that's, you know, and and people who believe in God, typically like this is all created for me. So -hmm. if you believe the universe wants you to be happy and – you then whatever you get, you don't look happy about <laughs> like the universe to my mind would go, Oh, well, you know, Ken doesn't appreciate this. So I'll stop giving it to him.
1: But you know, the interesting thing is I find that every time that I'm ungrateful and then I, I make that turn. Right. And I come back around and I go, you know what? I was wrong there. I should have been grateful on that point. Thank you for that. Mm. You know what? The blessings come again. They come again. And they come again. And they come again. And they come again. But I think what the world tries to tell us is that, you know, you're inherently going to go in the wrong direction and there's nothing you can do about it. And I would say that is an absolute lie, Right that if i 'm grateful for where I am right now, and I look forward to another day and I look forward to blessings coming the next day because I am really, really, really trying to be grateful for what I have right now, that feeds on itself and creates a, the right circle right, but everything in the world tells us we shouldn 't I mean you know, and think about it well i don 't even watch TV anymore because you watch TV and i don 't have that car and i don 't have this and i don 't have that, and i don 't have that body. And I'm never going to have that. I'm not going to have that. Look at that. I'm not going to have, you know, but we never sit and take time to just sit down and write down all the things that we're grateful for. I mean, you know, you know, the fact that my dog walks up right now and, and tugs on my arm and says, Hey, I love you because you're here. And, you know, we should be grateful for that. I mean, the fact that we're actually having this conversation right now, we have the ability to actually hear what we're talking about. Some people don't even have that, right? We should be grateful for that, but we're not. And so, you know, I, I, we kind of got uh, a little bit more um, uh, in the metaphysical. But I think that there's a lot to this. I think that I think that there is a lot to how we see ourselves and whether we can actually make these changes. Yeah, and well, uh, and, and,
0: I, and I, one of the reasons I love where you went with this with gratitude is that to me, that's very easy to operationalize in, you know, you can't, you, you know, if I tell you, okay, this, the trick is believe in God. There's a lot of people who don't know what to do with that. If I tell right. you the trick is love yourself, there's a lot of people who don't know what to do with that. But if, if I say the trick is find three things today that you're grateful for. I don't think anyone's so far gone that they can't start there. And that's like maybe right. like, you know, that's your ABC on the
1: road to full literacy. You know what's really cool too, Howard? If you think about it, you could sit down and roadmap your life. Say, say you're 50 years old and go back each decade and try to remember five things you were grateful for in that decade. You'll realize that those things were there. And you start realizing how they all connect to get you to this one point where you are right now, where you're going, wow, a lot of really incredible things have happened in my life. And then the real question becomes, you know, why did those things happen? Is it, could it be because it's bringing me to a place where I need to be more grateful now so I can move forward with my life? I mean, there's just, there's just so many ways to look at it but i think you're right it's it's easy to sit down and be thankful for three things right now i mean you know it, it, it's just it is there, there are i look i travel through all latin america and, and a lot of places in the third world and i see a lot of i live in a place where the average income of a person is probably three four hundred dollars a month but you know what these people are still grateful for what they have they live on less than, than, you know, you and I would think about maybe having a nice meal somewhere. And, 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 and they're still grateful. So wherever we are in life, we can be grateful for what we have.
0: Right. It, reminds, it reminds me of a, a concept that I first heard from Joseph Campbell, the, the mythologist, who's a Latin phrase called amor fati. which means lo- love of one's fate. And there were times in my life where I just felt very very dark and that that phrase was sort of a mantra for me that okay you know whatever this thing is that just happened to me how can i love it you know, how how is it helping me grow and it's right. a really hard thing and there there've been plenty of times where i just i would think the words and then resent having to go there like no i just i don't want to but you know at a certain point you get beat down enough <laughs> you know you're 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 on your knees far enough that there's no other option. Either either to give up or embrace.
1: Yeah, and you know I, and I in my vernacular it's like, you know, when you get to that place, the only place you can do is look up. Mm-hmm. And there is always the opportunity, there is always the hope, right? That you can move forward. There's always that hope. And and what I would what I would say at the end of all this is the fact that don't buy into the lie that you can't move from where you are now to the next day because you can you can and if you're not around people that are telling you that then you need to be around people that are telling you that whether that be a church or a synagogue or whatever it is it doesn't matter you know whatever community it is you need to be around people that can show you that there, there is something greater than you that loves you, and you need to be grateful for that. And, and I think that's where I got in my life. I think that's where I got in my life. And, and, and you know, it's so funny. It's crazy when you think about it. It's all about eating plants, and, and I've lost weight as a result of it, and I've gained a lot of my health back, and I keep gaining health back. But you know, it always comes back to the very. It always comes back to the things that aren't about the plants and all about the health. They're about the things that really motivate us: gratitude, love, you know, um, being a part of a community, feeling like you have a purpose. All of those things are the things that really change who we are, and the other things are just kind of manifestations of that. and And I just happened to find out that eating plants is a great way to begin that process you know in a new way
0: right and the irony is for so many people eating plants is the first step to getting to those core values that then allow everything else to manifest i know a lot of people who eat plants but who don't change their insides and after a while they revert back to wherever they were they were like it's like a a rubber band just returning to its shape
1: that's right i mean you you're yes exactly it's like a mirror we're saying the same thing in a different way and i think you're exactly right and the plant you know it doesn't matter where it starts um it happened to be that finally i had uh, an epiphany moment when i realized that eating plants was going to be key for me spiritually emotionally and physically and i accepted that and i moved forward with it and i've learned a lot of things through it you know and um and i hope that that people have that kind of journey as well i mean it's you know it, it is eating plants is just the beginning of it it really boils down to understanding you know where you are as a person and where you want to go as a person and why things are happening in your life i mean the, the the why is everything and and so i think these conversations are very very important it just happens to be that plants are such a dramatic way of showing physically how 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 transformative you can be with your own body. I mean, just by doing something so simple as not eating meat and dairy and eggs anymore. I mean, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So
0: I wanted to talk to you about um, your previous career as a lawyer, and I kind of feel like I don't now. I feel like you showed us how to do it rather than, rather than intellectualizing it. Sure. Um, so at some point, I'd love to have you back on the show as a marketer to help us understand how we can spread the word because you are incredibly effective at it and you do have a lot of professional experience and understanding. But now I just want to come full circle and find out how you ended up on the stage at Plantstock where, where I met you.
1: So so, Dr. Esselstyn um, and Rip, once they found out in May, I called Rip, I think I called Rip like two day, a day after, on the way home maybe. After the emer- I mean, after this last physical, and saying, "Hey, look, my cardiologist can't explain why I am the way I am," and uh, he said, "Well, Ken, I'd really love for you to come and speak at Plantstock." And you know, here, you know, you, ha- you have to imagine what's going through my mind, right? I'm I'm sitting there going, "I just read this guy's book five months ago." And now I'm being invited to speak to a community that I have no idea existed until five months ago? Really? You know, and so what was I going to do? I said yes. I mean, what what are you going to do when you're faced with that kind of an invitation when you're like... And so, you know, it became yet another waypoint for me because I'm like, you know, what am I going to weigh when I get to plant stock? You know, I never I had any idea that I was going to weigh 138 pounds less than I did when I read the book. And here I am on the stage at the farm of the guy who wrote the book that I read eight months earlier. And what a compelling story it is. And I was so funny. I was watching all these people. You know, one thing, Howard, was amazing. as I was watching the faces of the people as I was communicating with them. And just to see the same desires and fears and joy and stress and all the things that I have been, have been feeling for the last nine months in the faces of the 700 people around me, you know, and to realize, wow, I may have found a place for myself where I actually can use all of the gifts that God's given me in terms of advocacy and those kinds of things to really tell people that, you know, a really simple thing. I love you. There are people around you that love you, and what you're doing is good for you. And we want to see this for you. And and you know what? That message was received, Howard. I, you were there. I mean, it was truly received by everyone who was speaking on that stage. And um, and so it was a true gift for me personally to actually to be there and to and to receive that love from people, and realize that that's what I want to give back. And so that's, that's kind of why I was there. I know that's why I was there.
0: It's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: I, 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 I feel like I don't want to put muddy footprints on this. It feels like we've we've reached a, uh, a really beautiful point. There's so much that I want to ask you about, but I, I do feel like I want to leave it for, for another time to get tactical um, sure but just um,
1: so you, you when is the five k that you're i don't know I don't know it's it's a new goal i just got i just downloaded the app the c two five k app uh-huh. I'm way past the couch potato now but um but once I'm going in for another checkup up in, up in in October um just because that's what they wanted me to come in do a checkup and I've already told my my doctors that I want to do this and so um you know i I'm sure they'll say it's fine. I mean, I'm. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm already running anyways on the treadmill. So it doesn't really matter. Great. And uh, and so it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So my my last question: When I was prepping for this interview, um, of course I'd heard your talk and I'd met you and we had a private chat. But online, you have very little presence except for your your uh, your corporate bio at Thrive Farmers. Is right. Is is there a plan to change that? Is there like there are people who are going to want to hear from you again and again and again. I know there are people who listen to this podcast who are thinking, finally, how he got somebody on the show who is talking openly about God, about faith. This speaks to me like almost none of the other speakers, none of the other guests have. I want to follow Ken.
1: Is there a way or is there going to be a way for people to do that? Maybe so. I mean, in my vernacular, Lord Willian, Willian. I mean, I I feel like, I feel like there could be that. I feel like, um, that I'm learning still. I feel that, that I have still have a lot to learn. Um, I certainly have found that there are a lot of people out there that have, have faith or damaged faith or, or have been treated badly. And a lot of this stuff is expressed in their physical result. Um, and you know, I, I, if I would would, would put it this way, I'm an open book and at some point it would be great to have more opportunities to speak. But it's crazy is that I keep getting more opportunities to speak every single, you know, I get people calling me and saying, Hey, would you come speak at this has nothing to do with my, my health. Right. But they hear about, they hear about my story and they want to go, we just want to know more. Mm -hmm. And, um, I say that in all humility. It's you know, if if someone wants me to come talk or or to be a part of their lives and pour into their lives in a group setting, you know, I would certainly want to be available for that. Especially if it's going to help people feel better, and you know, spiritually and emotionally feel better as well.
0: Beautiful. So I I want to encourage you to get a website, and whether it's a a podcast or a blog or a YouTube channel, um, so so that people can can have can get more of you. And uh, <clears throat> if you don't mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask people to uh, to email me or just comment below um, this this interview in the comment section, if they would like that, if they would like to hear more from you digitally, because I, uh, I I can see you as, as someone becoming a, a a huge media presence and not doing it for the reasons that lots of us do for sort of adulation or money or fame. But but out of this burning desire to give back and to and to be a vessel for the love that has transformed you. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can get a a crowd of people to uh <laughs> to, to motivate slash intimidate you into uh, into sharing more.
1: We'll see how that goes. So I'll tell you this. I can tell you this without a shadow of a doubt. There are people out there right now that are listening to this that don't feel like they're loved and don't feel like they can change and i can tell you this that i know you can change and i know that i love you and that 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 obviously i have been i have received that message to send that to somebody else and and so you know i just encourage i encourage people out there don't give up whatever you do don't give up because there is something much greater than you that loves you and that's that's really the bottom line
0: Right on. Let's let's leave it there. Ken Lander, thank you so much for all you do for your work on behalf of yourself and all of us and the planet. And thanks for taking the time on the podcast today.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Howard. It's been a pleasure. It really has been a pleasure.
0: All right. Be well. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Big Change Program, led by me and Josh Lajani, visit bigchangeprogram.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links at plantyourself.com slash 233. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 232 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And if you get the podcast, but not the Big Change Bulldog, my weekly-ish newsletter, you can also get that when you sign up at the top right at plantyourself.com. In garden news, the kale is doing great, taking care of itself. Lots of dinosaur kale. We got some bok choy that bolted, so I'm going to be more aggressive in harvesting that. And we're looking at possibly our first frost of the season coming up. So we got to figure out how to protect everything so that we have a nice long winter harvest. In running news, I did it. I finished my second ever 50K and I did it in about 19 minutes faster than my first one. So definitely moving in the right direction. I was surprised at how slowly I was still running at the end. At, after over a year and a, and a couple months of training, I still slowed way the heck down for the last really six, seven miles. My mile 28 was almost a 12-minute pace. I did come in at 4.49.57, came in sixth in the race overall. So I'm definitely making progress and I'm a lot less sore, uh, thanks to my wife who went out with me and drove me home so I didn't have to drive. Uh, a friend of mine said driving yourself home after a ultra marathon is like driving yourself home after a medical procedure. Not not a good idea. And I learned that the hard way last year and the easy way this year. So now I'm going to take a few weeks off from hard training. Just uh, put on walking miles, hiking, light jogging, do some cross training, and then I'm going to prepare for the Tobacco Road Marathon in Wake County, North Carolina coming up in March, I believe. And my goal, again, is to Boston qualify. So three hours and 30 minutes. And I'll be using, I believe, the Run Less, Run Faster protocol. It's a book uh, put out by Runner's World. And we'll see if that helps me make it across the finish line in three hours, 29 minutes, and 59 seconds or fewer. So thanks, thanks, thanks. Thanks to Will Reidenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, Dance of Peace, Check out com for more of his beautiful choral music. And, of course, thank you to all the Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Viz. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Havelly, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barrons, Christine News, Lucille Tina Sharp, Tina Jump, David Isaac, The Mysterious Michelle Exels, Miss Feldman, Katori Dolan Noble, The Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina Julian, Roland Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rounds of Circus, Ellie Cameron, Wayne Peterson, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Bedham Gill, The Star, David Donahue, Blair Cybert, Dorona, Bizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, The Equally Mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lendis, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rounds cinnamon nick harper stephanie Holmes, miss barth burger nicole ransky susan ahmad molly levine the inscrutable harry are susan laverty the panda vegan craig kovic adam sharf karen burry heather morgan ashley corker and kelly machia deanne norton bonnie lynch of plant happy oregon sabine kurtzall's nigel davies marion blum teresa copel shell Rutledge, julian watkins breed o'connell brian sheridan shannon Hirschman, kate rolls linda Ayad, and julie lang for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this episode, but not for this week. Look for another one, a very exciting episode coming out with Rob Greenfield of robgreenfield.tv. You will be amazed at his spirit, his spark, his story. And that's all for next coming Friday. Until then, as always, be well, my friends.